As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hold That Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, for our second podcast of the new version of Hold That Podcast. Uh, I hope my mic is a lot better than last time. You know, I, I listened back and uh, it was pretty terrible. So uh, hurricane uh, situation <laughs> made that necessary. But here I am, hopefully sounding crisp. Uh, Brody, how are you? I am doing all right, and and I'm, I'm excited that we are we've made it to a second episode. We've not gotten canceled yet with the new the new cast here. But my audio might not be as good as because as we are still in a hurricane run all over the country mode and. Unfortunately, returning home tomorrow, I left my microphone in Charlotte. So, of course, nothing can just go smoothly right now. But so I hope my audio sounds all right. But we are back. But it's not exactly an optimistic time to be back for most LSU fans, as you know. No, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I can tell you that, you know, it's it's interesting recording this on Thursday after we've had a few days to sit in the loss and. I don't think I feel better about it. You know, I, I think Ooh. I speak for all, all LSU fans that uh, Sunday was awful. Monday was awful. It was like this terrible surprise or not even a surprise, but I had such high hopes even before the storm and then the storm happened and it was just like, oh, another bad thing that's happening. And obviously not at the magnitude of it, but <laughs> I was really looking forward to a fun three hours on Saturday night and it didn't happen. Um so walk me through that. Yeah, Why are you feeling better about it? I'm not feeling better about it. Oh, okay. Misunderstood. <laughs> I am, I'm not. It's – it's. God, I, I still just think back to in the second half seeing LSU absolutely manhandled by what what we thought was a mid-tier Pac-12 team. It still could be. I You know, it's, it is just one game, and, and it's been interesting to see um, LSU's branding give UCLA a lot of shine nationally for what was a great one for them and could mean a lot for them in the future. But maybe I'm too hard on the shoe, but I, I just look at it as like, man, we got out physical by a mediocre Pac-12 team. And that's just <laughs> so antithetical to everything that LSU purports to be as from a talent perspective and from a coaching perspective. And I don't really know where to go from that. I mean, I, I think it is easy to say, you know, we were breaking in new coordinators and, you know, just getting a feel for it. But there's, there's not there's not a lot of different coaching that can go on with just getting blown off the line for most of the snaps in the second half. It's just 
it's it's still sitting with me. I mean, am, am I totally off base there? No, I think I think that basically gets to what this entire debate needs to be this week is it's it's wrestling with this battle of okay, how much benefit of the doubt do you give that hey, it's opening week and UCLA already had a game under them and it's a road game, you know, in a pretty packed crowd and you know, you had the you had Hurricane Ida and now players are you know practicing displaced in Houston all week. They're worried about their families, all that and I mean, I think you'd be foolish not to pretend that's at least some percentage, but at the same time, I think I, as much as I want to give respect to that, I don't think it's more than, I don't know, 5%. I think at the end of the day, they just got beat. I think that's what we're all kind of wrestling with right now is, and you put it best, is the most shot I could have accepted. I would have believed that Chip Kelly probably got the best of Durante Jones and Durante Jones' mm-hmm. first game as a DC. You know, like, yeah, you could explain that away to me. I would have been, wouldn't have been shocked if the O-line had a tough day. And, and I think I even predicted last week that Max Johnson was kind of getting a little spooked in practice a little, and we saw that Saturday. Stuff like yeah. that, explicable. What was less expl- ex- you know, explicable, well, I've never heard explicable used that way, but <laughs> it was that, was that, they like you said, they just got demolished on the line of scrimmage. You know, beat pretty physically. They look like the weaker team. And the big buzz conversation this week has been like, what is talent and all that? And we can get to that later. But that's what was shocking. And what was really, I think, my concern level went from like a, you know, what would have been just a, a bad loss, oh well, you know, a six. We'll put it to like an eight. Is that you expected that at least they'd get on the same page defensively. They're keeping it so simple. They, mm-hmm. they would at least get rid of those defensive you know, miscommunications and coverage busts. Those are still there. And that is where you're like, oh, the problems are maybe more rooted in deep problems than we understood. And now you have to re- you might have to reframe this entire season. So where are – I will put it back to you. Where are you at with that? Are you at more – hey, you know, it's one game, it's first week, and it's still a talented team, and they might rebound? Or are you, hey, there might be some real structural problems here? I, I'm the latter. I'm reframing the entire season, you know. <laughs> As I said in the first episode, I, I thought we had the talent. I thought everything was there, and we fixed some things. Like, everything's going to be all right. And the talent wasn't there. Like, I just can't get over how bad they looked. And, you know, we do have a couple, three weeks here that can maybe <laughs> – uh, artificially lift some expectations, but I got to say my expectations are on the floor right now, and it's going to be hard to lift them back up. You know, I, I say that, and LSU will win thirty-five to three in Starkville, and I'll, I'll come on here yelling in three weeks. But I just, <laughs> man, it, it it is tough to to comprehend. I mean, I'm, I'm reframing the whole. I think that the further we get from 2019, that looks like a serendipitous year and, and it certainly was, but I think we also thought that Ed had raised the floor and the staff had raised the floor for yeah. LSU. And that last year was a pure aberration. And that just looks like it might not be true. It, you know, maybe we had some great coordinators that came at the right time with the right personnel. And it, it made this beautiful symphony of a 15 win season. And it's just hard to do that. And I thought that someone you know, in this kind of coaching staff where it's set up where Ed is the CEO and he's not, you know, a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator guy, um, you need the best coordinators out there. I mean, if you look at Clemson, it's an easy comparison. You know, Brent Venables has been there forever. Um, I know they've changed offensive coordinators a few times, but it's not been the turnover that LSU has. And um, I don't know. It's just It just places the emphasis on that. And you have two kind of first-timers on each side of the ball, no matter how talented they are. And it just kind of all fell apart. So 
maybe I'm still overreacting. I, I just need to be shown something different before I think differently. Yeah, and it brings me to a question I got in the mailbag, you know, that's going to run uh, Friday morning. But, you know, this uh, a guy named Jarvier H. basically asked, and it's, it's a great question, is why were so many writers so optimistic on the season? What were the signs of our team's weaknesses that much not noticeable in the spring and summer? Or were writers just too optimistic? And I think that leads to, like, I, when you read my mailbag, you'll see me getting very like existential and doubting my own relevance because I'm just like, yeah, I, I think, and T-Bob and I used to joke about this all the time, but I think we're really learning lessons that we, we sat next to each other in the press box and we both kind of were like, I think we're learning a lot of lessons about how to evaluate college football because this is now two years in a row where I think we saw problems. And I, you and I talked about this at length last week. It's that we saw problems, but you just kind of, yada yada them away and you assume mm-hmm. yeah you know the offensive line should be a concern and like yeah you know I'm, I'm a little intrigued to see what happens at safety but you're just like yeah but the talent makes itself work and to be fair I think college football is actually the only one of the very few sports in the world where that is some more often than not the case I think it's actually accurate a lot where you can kind of be like yeah you know I'm a little worried about Clemson I mean Alabama's lack of experience on offense but you know I don't think it's gonna like kill their season and guess what that's exactly what happened and most talented programs, that is the case. So when, when we talk mm-hmm. about writers being optimistic, and by the way, I was wrong. I will look you in the eye and tell you that. I, I predicted 10-2. and two. But yeah, I think what happened is like you see – okay, you see just three straight top five classes. So your entire infrastructure in just a vacuum – I know it doesn't literally work like this, but should be one of the five to ten most talented teams in the entire country. And, and on top of that, your experience. You bring back 30 guys who started a game last year. And you say, okay, they got rid of Bo Pliny, so you assume that defense won't be as incompetent. And you can just point to so many things that in any other context in college football history, or I should say at least the majority, you do see a team improve. You do see them fix those issues. And I think right. now we have to reach a point where you start asking much harder, difficult to, to you know sleep at night questions about what's going on in the Ed Ogeron era. Are guys I getting th- better from freshman to junior year? Are you know, are you confident they can fix an issue from one higher to the next? And I think that's where you have to really work. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think that's that crystallizes what is bombing out so much is that, like you said, all of the infrastructure is there. You know, objectively the talent is there. There, like you said, top five class after top five class. Coach O is a recruiter. Uh, he is one of the best in college football, and he has lived up to that on the recruiting trail. And then somehow it's not materializing, and they're looking like they did last year, which is a mediocre team at best. And 
and you had all this talent returning. I just, man, I don't get it. It's 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 a real bummer. But that that kind of leads into uh, the real uh, sports radio talk uh, guest uh, storyline we have here is that is there real heat on Ed right now? Uh, yeah, this is a question that. Like, I think I got literally six mailbag questions about. I'm sure. It's everyone's talking about it. So you can't ignore it. And we have to discuss it. It is the elephant in the room. And I think anyone who's listened to me a long time knows I'm not exactly a hot takey guy who's going to go out there and be like reporting something before I know it's true. But yeah, listeners, I will be honest with you. There are real conversations being had behind the scenes. And there is very real pressure on it, Ogeron. And, you know, if you want to go even more conspiracy theorists, it is not a coincidence that Jimbo Fisher got an extension right before the season because everybody was having those conversations about if Scott Woodward mm. was going to go hire his guy Jimbo Fisher, that's who he hired at AM, if he was going to bring right. him to LSU. Those conversations have been having been had in coaching circles for, for months now. So I think there is very real pressure on it, Ojean. There is very real frustration with the off the field stuff and then the you know, and again, this is why he, this is not why he's in trouble. But even just the stuff of bickering with a fan, calling him in a sissy blue shirt, and then you lose and get embarrassed, or you know, just obviously the on the field product is struggling. And then, and again, I don't think it all falls on him. But then you got the Title Nine cloud above everything, and there is there is real pressure on Ed Ogeron right now. And I throw in the of course caveat that this is one game, and it is one game. All mm-hmm. like we said, with all those other factors, so I would not be surprised in any world with the talent of this team if they in two very young coordinators, if they do figure things out and they do go, I don't know, five and three in SEC play or something like that and bounce back and go eight and four or whatever. But again, how happy are you really with eight and four? And I think that's where it just gets really tough. So that's my way of saying, guys, I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but Ed O'Jean is under real pressure right now. And I don't think he'd deny that. Which I, then, you know, yeah, leads me yeah. to you as a, as a longtime fan slash sports writer, where are you at with Ed O'Jean? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> the emotional part of me loves Coach O because, you know, for for the classic storylines, he is a Louisiana guy. He's one of us. And, like, 2019 was just the best that I've ever experienced in college football. But I, I'm really worried right now. You know, we're, we're seeing this. I, I feel like I saw this this movie before with less and a very – this is a much more compressed time period where there was more of a gradual recession with Les Miles and the quality of those teams. But, you know, then LSU uh, has one of the most talented teams in the country and was that 2016 or 2017 when they went to Lambeau? Was that that game? That have been 17 or 16. Yeah, against, against future LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda and just put up a dud uh, in Lambeau. And then we were having these same conversations, you know, oh my God, how did we do this? How did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. And Wisconsin turned out to be a pretty good team that year, but it was it was either one it was two games later that they went to Auburn and lost on that classic Les Miles you know uh, game management gaffe at the end where LSU scored but didn't score because time ran out before they snapped the ball or something like that it was ridiculous and then Les gets fired after the game and I don't think that I don't know maybe maybe I could ask you that question. If LSU goes out and loses by two scores in Stark's, Starkville, like it feels like danger zone for Coach O. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, that that part is one hundred percent accurate. You know, I mean, yeah, I don't think they're going to get fired if he goes like nine and three or eight, even eight and four. But we might be okay. But if you and by the way, there's people in the staff who have mentioned to me like, oh shoot, I'm kind of concerned about Central Michigan now. You know, they're hey, they're well oh, coached, God. they're tough, yeah, oh, and, and again. 
I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm just saying like <laughs> a staff member texted me that. And and I think uh I think if if they have a really hard time in Mississippi State, which in theory should be the either worst or second worst story in the in the SEC West. I mean second worst team in the SEC West, then yeah, you're I think Ojan is firmly, firmly in trouble. And that is, I think, what he has to figure out these next few weeks. And this is when also things start getting really interesting because then you start thinking, all right, you know, how what is your panic level if you're a coach of how you start rushing certain guys on there and making changes and you know, shoot, they're literally, according to him, essentially changing their offense this like in one week because of how bad this went and all that. And that's the kind of stuff you see from a coach who's kind of in trouble a little bit. So yeah, again, I hate being the reactionary guy. This isn't even my opinion, but yeah, he needs to he needs to turn things around very fast. That, that's for sure. I guess I guess a support change in the office. You know, we if, if we want to dial back a little to the UCLA game, it, it it felt like I was playing Madden, and if I was LSU, you'd be running engage eight on me every time, sending the house and just seeing if I can hit the button fast enough and find the guy over and over and over again, and then you couldn't run the ball. And so I'm all for changing the offense. I, I don't like doing that after one week. That sounds like a bad recipe for future success and stability, but I don't know, man. If, if, if you don't change it now, it, it, it ends poorly for everybody. So I don't know. I, I was laughing earlier to myself thinking, is this the worst or like the most pressure I've felt for LSU going into a game against McNeese State? Probably. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you need to see – evidence that things are starting to get fixed. And yeah, I mean, they're going to win this game comfortably. Let's just be honest here. But but yeah, and, and this is where, because we haven't really dove, in, dove, dove, dove into the... Wow, I'm really struggling. It's been a long week, two weeks, guys. I like This is where you, we can start looking into the game because we haven't really done that yet, like in a deep way. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like Ed Ogeron took such pride, even last year. Like, you'd always make jokes about it. Like, how in 2019, that offense... You know, they ran two plays. They ran two run plays, zone left, zone right. And and by the way, I mean, that's not like crazy uncommon, I don't think. Like, you know, zone's a play that really means a lot of different things. And yeah, and, and, and you, but you had a passing game that opened it up. You had a pretty good offensive line. And you had a running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who could make things happen. And now you're in year three of that. And Ed Ogeron, by the way, this look, starts looking kind of bad for him because he has gone out of his way to an almost weird degree of just bringing up every time, like, these literal words, we are getting back to Joe Brady's 2019 offense, which is just a – it's a weird thing to kind of keep selling that. Just be like, we are trying to return to this exact coach's scheme. And mm-hmm. and you're saying it's like, well, that's coach's scheme. Again, I'm, this is not Joe Brady criticism. I think the world Joe Brady. But it's like, okay, so you're returning to not really having a very diverse run game. And you're returning to basically having nothing that goes outside the, outside the tackles. And you're trying to run a zone scheme side to side with – Ty Davis Price, who really, for being honest, his skill set should just be A to B, you know, get get north and south. And, right. and Armani Goodwin and the Armani Goodwin was out, John Emery was out. They would have helped, of course, they would have helped because you had like a, a dynamic playmaking option. But still, the O line got. Demolished. I don't know, man. Would would, would they have helped? Would, would they have even yes. gotten out of the backfield? Good point. And I I don't even know why I said that because I've written literally four it's- straight stories saying the running backs wouldn't have mattered. The O line got demolished, but still. It might have like theoretically let them do other stuff with their scheme. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they really can't do too much with Ty Davis Price. But uh, it's a great point. So thank you for saying that. But I, I don't know. I, I think the offensively, I'm not out on Jake Peets because at least with Jake Peets, I think I saw him adapt as the game went on. I saw, okay, they're blitzing. All right, let's get some shorter passes, and you saw that improve. And with Max Johnson, yeah. you did see 
hey, after like it looked really rough at times. Then after that interception, which was inexcusable, one of the worst interceptions we've seen in a little bit, mm-hmm. he actually went 12 of 18 for like 180 yards or something in two scores. Like, again, I'm not going to make too much out of like garbage time stuff when you're down two scores, but still, he looked better. So I'm not out on Pete's. I think defensively is where I'm a little more concerned just because you had like two years to figure this out and you still have it. But I'm sorry, it was a very long tangent. Where are you at with the offense? It's well, I mean, I was just going to say to the defense, like I'm having PTSD about seeing another crossing route and somebody lagging behind and the receiver running free for five yards in front of them and man coverage is just, I, I am the person sitting on a couch drinking a beer criticizing this. So it's really dumb of me, but oh, no, man. it's not dumb of you though, because I, don't I can't think anything see they did was that like incredibly creative. You just weren't yeah. ready for the thing you knew they were going to run against you. So no, you're it, right. It, it, it was such a bummer, man. Um, I hope they fix that. And to your point about the offense, I, I, I think that everything hinges on the offensive line. And, you know, we, we kind of said this in that funny way the first week as we, we are now feeling stupid about where, oh, but but they'll probably figure it out. But yep. it'll, be, it'll probably be fine. And, like, it sure wasn't fine. And now everything hinges on that because if Max has more time, I'm sure after getting hit 70,000 times in the backfield – and getting waylaid and trying to find a hot route in one and a half seconds, two seconds max. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that's not fun. And I'm sure that doesn't do great things for your psyche when you're trying to stick in the pocket and come back when your defense is letting you down. So, A, first off, let's have a run game, please. Because um, <laughs> it's never felt, and you know, like in 2019, LSU had Clyde, the offensive line was good. And they called it so well. But, like, it's so weird seeing an LSU team that can't run the ball that isn't stubborn about running the ball, which like it puts me in a weird spot because a growing up an LSU fan, it's like, wow, why aren't we passing the ball more? We have all these receivers. Oh my God. And now it's like, yes, I get it. We have all these receivers, but like they know what's coming every single time they're blitzing him. It's, it it was so simple. It looks so simple to me from the screen. And I know I'm not, you know, a, a scout, a tape grinder, but if I can figure it out, I'm sure uh, people paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that, can figure it out too. No, so, I mean, to back you up, Jacob Hester, who knows in T-Bob, who know football so much better than you and I ever will, he said the exact same thing. He's like, you could see exactly what was happening from the from up top, from the press box. You could see it or watching on TV. And, yeah. and we all knew it was coming, and, and they didn't seem to. So you're not wrong in the slightest. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So I just, I need to see, like, I, I am morbidly fascinated to see what the mood in the stadium on Saturday is like if LSU goes into the half up 
Because <laughs> wasn't it Southeastern where it was like uh, in 2018 where they were only up like a score after like a Hail Mary at halftime? And it was like, that was yes. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not un- it's not inconceivable. And McNeese has a lot to play for and all that. And, and again, I want to get back to the O-line because like I want to put it in perspective. And because I don't expect everyone to have read my Thursday story on the O-line. But like just to put it in perspective, because we've seen 2020's O-line was not great. 2018's O-line was one of the weaker SEC O-lines I've seen in a long time. Well, for reference, L, you know, just to give you some hashtag data, uh, mm. LSU averaged 0.4 yards before contact per rush Saturday, uh, per pro football focus, which is oh. the second worst single game of the last three years. The only one worse was that Auburn game last year, which was absurd. They were hit at or behind the line on 15 of 25 rushes. Like, it wasn't just like, you know, ah, you know, the scheme's not quite there. Ah, I wasn't like, ah, you know, the running back's not, you know, they were just demolished back. So I think mm-hmm. it is so much greater than just like, ah, you know, I don't think you know, the run game needs to improve. The O-line got just beaten every single way. And then you have Ed Ingram in, in Wednesday's press, uh, you know, scrum thing basically being like, you know, I think some of us were might have been out of shape because we were also banked up all camp. And he admitted that they didn't know what they were doing on so many plays, like, this experience is supposed to be what you had going for you. So I think what gets scary with this O-line is that it's not – there's no, like, thing you can – there's not some safety outlet to improve on. That makes sense? Like, depth yeah. was your concern. Depth was your number one issue. And now you're actually in trouble this much with the starting five. And it's like, wait, then who the heck do you pull from? And I think these next this next game or two might be a silver lining – if you're an optimist in some small way, because they are going to be with that Austin Deculus and Cam Wire for at least one game, maybe more, who knows? And you don't need, really need to rush it back. So that means, okay, Charles Turner, who hot take actually looked is maybe is one of the better ones Saturday. You know, a pretty yeah. athletic guy who can play every position. He's probably one of your starting tackles that feels safe to assume. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say freshman Garrett Dellinger takes the other starting tackle spot. That could be a blessing because now you are at least have two young guys with actually real upside, two of the only ones I'd argue, like getting some game reps, and maybe all of a sudden by SEC play you have some surprising depth or Dellinger's ready or maybe one of those guys is pushing for a starting spot. That is the only positive you can really take out of these next few games, that and just trying to get on the same page. I sure hope so, Brady. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's to me, it all starts there, as we've said, because I, I feel like I saw some criticism during the week that, Maybe some of the receivers uh, didn't come down with the, uh, you know, one-on-one 50-50 balls that we've seen receivers at LSU in the last few years come down with a lot. But I, it may I be so, it, but yeah. But I, I just think that it's so down the list. Like, <laughs> exactly. Mailed it, yeah. Kayshawn had a great game. Like, I thought most of the receivers have, had really good games and showed a lot of pop. The, the young guys look great. Um, it's just everything's – flows from being a balanced offense and being able to block the person in front of you. I mean, if Max has time, I do have confidence that he, you know, he, he's not going to be throwing the ball behind his back, which was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And like it, I, I felt, I literally felt bad for him in the moment because I knew that that clip was going to be everywhere and everybody was going to be, how dumb was that? Stupid, stupid, stupid. And it's like, <laughs> you know, if you do something stupid in real life and then you immediately realize how stupid it was and then everybody around you is like, hey, man, I was really stupid. And I'm like, I know. I got it. Like, thank you. I touched the stove. My 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 hand is burned. Like, I appreciate you telling me after the fact that I'm hurting. Like, <laughs> he was put in that spot. I mean, he shouldn't have done that. He should have just taken a sack. Like, 
And I'm sure he knows that now. I'm sure every single coach has, you know, punched that into his brain. Not not actually, but, you know, <laughs> verbally. And I hope he's better. I, I hope the offensive line gives us some time. Because I do think he showed some moxie and, you know, a bad moment that, like, he got hit a lot. He And you also have to zoom out and reconsider. It was his third start. It was his first real, like, game with a crowd, and it's on the road. Yeah, he... I mean, shout out to him. I mean, there were fans at that Florida game. I, I don't. Know, I can't remember how much it capacity there was. Yeah, I don't think there, it was close to full. Yeah, I, I know it didn't matter that much, but like he really did spoil us by first start winning in the swamp and what it was a classic game and a bad season. So, I mean, maybe I have to zoom out a little on him, but give him some time, man. And maybe these next two weeks they look like world beaters, and I talk myself into him again, but I'm not there yet, man. Nor should you be, yeah. No, and I think that pivots us to, yeah, what we need to look forward to from here on out. And it's, I think, yeah, like you said, these next few games need to be about just getting rhythm, getting continuity, getting, like, things just clicking because they clearly aren't yet. So it's like, hey, make sure the defense is eliminating the crossing routes and and, yeah. and try to get that run defense better because that didn't steal the show or anything like that. I think the coverage bust did, but I think the run defense actually might be, like, what's surprising me more. They're like, oh, man, that's... I thought this D-line was supposed to be unreal, and I still think the pass rush is unreal, but I now am realizing, oh, pass, being a great pass rusher does not mean you're necessarily a great run stopper and all that, and mm-hmm. I think we saw that Saturday. Linebackers still need work, all that. So I think you're looking for that, the obvious stuff with the defense, but the defense, that will be fine, right? Like, not, not, No, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I'll be fine like this week, right? They're not going to have a hard time with McNeese. But offensively, I think you actually can see some stuff this Saturday because, like you said, I am not going to rule out Max Johnson from his first, you know, real game as QB one Saturday. I'm just not. It looked, it looked like a guy who, like you said, was finally like had pressure on him and like both literally and metaphorically. And, you know, I looked like a guy who was just, yeah, a little rattled first time in a real road game pressure in his face, every single play, maybe trying to do too much because now he's QB one at LSU. And, and one of his, and I think this was in the story too, but like one of his greatest strengths in 20, in those two starts was not that he was amazing under pressure, but when he was under pressure, like he won credit because he was a good game manager and he could like, he knew how to dump off and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's something I don't think just goes away, but I think Saturday you saw when he was under pressure, he was trying to make too much. And yeah, you mentioned the insane backwards throw or stuff like that. But I mean, you even have the stats. It was like uh, in 2020 under pressure, his average attempt in the air, like was 7.7 yards in the air uh, when under pressure per PFF. And Saturday, it was 11.4 average temp when under pressure, which means he's trying to make bigger plays now under pressure. And I think anyone who watched that game, and to be clear, it's not always on him. I always like to clarify that might be on the play calling too. But again, I think if he was even able to just get some of those dump offs better and get, you know, hit that Trey Palmer short pass or just, you know, Go back to not – I hate the term game manager. It's one of the worst terms in sports. But, like, it get is. back to just being the not try to do too much guy. Else you would have been fine offensively, reality. So, again, I'm not out on him. I think he was just trying to do too much. I was a little rattled with that brutal line performance. Not out on him. The thing I just want to see, though, is can he get ease into the role and can that O-line get a little continuity? That stuff can get figured out these next two games. I don't know if the whole thing can, but I do believe that can. And then maybe you go into – Mississippi State is a team that at least knows what it's doing, and now we finally figure out what the team actually is, if that makes sense. Fingers crossed, man. Um, I do want to ask about one thing. The ask running away, back room. my friend. Ooh, hey, yes, good question. Who is playing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know yet. That's the actual answer. Um, yeah. Yeah, and what, we're going to talk that it was around about three hours after we record this, so we'll get a better answer on. I, I'm not too optimistic on John Emery, but you know, even Armani Goodwin's banged up. I don't know when he's going to return, but and I, I would be pretty surprised if Trey Bradford's already available to play Saturday. But again, that, that's what I was going to be like. Well, yeah. Trey Bradford's back, and that, that and, and just for the fans who aren't in the hashtag Twitter world, Trey Bradford, who obviously left LSU at the end of the spring, transferred to Oklahoma, is essentially their next man up and left. Like it's not like he was like far from playing time. Left again, and now is back at LSU. You know, week two of the season. I don't. I think his eligibility. They're still figuring it out, but he's back at practice yeah. already. Um, yeah, I, I actually don't have a good answer for you there. It's a weird situation. I do think we see more Corey Kiner. I do think mm-hmm. maybe they're quickly realizing there's just limitations to what Ty Davis Price can do. And uh, yeah, I, and, I, and I think John Emery's return is going to be really important to this season. I genuinely yes. believe that. I was I was hoping you'd have some inside info telling me that John Emery was probably going to be back because I, I, I've given up. There are like two things in this world that I, I think I have learned never act confident about. One is coaching hires because they change every thirty minutes, and you might think something is done is done, and then something else changes. Never act confident on that, and never act confident with what's happening with an academic issue because yeah. that can change. I literally a lot of us thought that was figured out as of like Thursday, and then like I think like the morning of the game they found out it wasn't going to work. So. I give up. Normally, I would say, you know what? That's fine. Figure it out. LSU has this from here. But I don't know if LSU has this from here. And maybe uh, we could use John Emery not looking rusty in a big game this year if he comes back, say, for state or beyond. So You're right. I I hate that this game this weekend feels like a sort of referendum. I love (laughs) it. So, like I told you, I'm still excited. I'm going to go. I'm going to be tailgating for the first time in a year. I didn't go to any of the games last year because of uh, COVID and the world and everything. So I will be in the stands for the first time since 2019. I'm excited for that. Um, Can you tell me something I should be looking for actually in the game besides uh, the general offensive line plays well and LSU figures it out? Oh, man. Well, I mean, one thing just for fun is going to be, does Garrett Nussmeyer get in and what does he look like? Um, that's a fun uh, one. Yes. Because Ed Ojean has made clear he would like that to happen. Obviously, they need to be winning comfortably. And then again, if they're not winning comfortably, that means maybe you need him in there. But, uh, oh, God. Yeah. No. And I think I'm just going to say this to every listener. Watching that's going to be dangerous because Garrett Nussmeyer, again, I think I've been raving about Garrett Nussmeyer for a long time. I think he's going to be a very, very good college football player eventually if things work out. But he is a very raw, true freshman who is a playmaker at heart. So he might go out there against McNeese and make some holy crap plays that make you be like, this guy needs to be your starting quarterback because that is what he does. We're going to Meyer, and I, I, I'm sure people close to him will tell you this too, and several staffers have told me this, that he is also he makes mistakes. He takes off running like way sooner than he needs to before there's pressure, and he throws interceptions. We saw that three of them in the spring game. He is raw. He is very, very talented. But just be careful. That's all I'm asking fans right now because I already envision the scenario where he makes two plays that just blow everyone away Saturday. And my mentions and my questions and mailbags and all that is all about why Garrett Nussmeyer start not starting. And I say just be careful. I I can see it clearly where nobody's talking about firing Ed anymore during the week. But they're talking about Max Johnson and why he should be benched already. <laughs> and then maybe they're game, talking so. about it the next week because why is he not playing Nussmeier? Got a fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That just hell world. Um, okay. That sounds great. Um, 
before we get out of here, uh, did you do any fun stuff in LA? Like, it's so <sighs> marred to me by uh, the game, I guess. But uh, any fun tidbits? <laughs> I bet our listeners right now are just like, who the hell cares after this week? I don't want to hear about Brody's tacos. Um, I want to hear about Brody's tacos. I did. Okay, so I will be a real straight shooter. I did not get to live the joyful food experience I wanted to. I was so exhausted when I was pulling in Friday that I made the power move of being just like so desperate for food in my stomach that 20 minutes out before my Uber got to the hotel, I already Uber Eats. Uh, one of the more popular places, Tacos Night. I think it's Tacos 1984, I believe, or 1986. And, you know, it's it very good tacos. But, like, had it delivered by the time I exactly arrived, but takeout tacos are not exactly the best. And, like, mm. brought it up and just threw them in my face because I was in, like, a dark place by the time I got there. So I did have some pretty good L.A. tacos, but for takeout. Um, and then I did experience some cool stuff in L.A. Went to a... The Wayfair Hotel roof, pretty new uh, boutique hotel. Oh pretty my god, cool that's where I was gonna stay, Brody. That has to hurt, buddy. It does. I actually, right. literally, I was talking to Claire, and I'm like, I think next time I we go there, I want to stay there because I don't think it's crazy expensive, and it's got a cool rooftop. So Wayfair Hotel All rooftop right. was cool. And then right. uh, went to the LSU Hotel bar and saw a lot of very drunk LSU fans, not knowing what was about to hit them the next what? morning. What? Wait, really? What? That's crazy. Drunk LSU fans at the LSU bar? Oh yeah, never heard that before. Yeah, never what's the what's the obnoxious Twitter move uh, every time that like someone mentions like LSU oh, like LSU playing at LSU a city, fans like, drink drink the place dry. Yeah, they like better load up on the second quarter. LSU. <laughs> so I mean, cool. I, I have participated in that before, so I I, I have no. So have uh, I, but I've now realized we have jumped the shark. I do not think LSU fans actually drink. 20% more than other fan bases, guys. Let's pump the brakes. No, I, I believe in that myth. I, I fully believe in it. I've been part of it. Like, listeners do not listen to the objective journalist here who wants to sully our reputation uh, at a dark time for the football program. Or dark. You know what? I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> even mean times. that it's not true. I'm more making fun of the comment that we all have to make every time anyone, like, oh, LSU's playing in Vegas in three years? Better start loading up. Like, that kind of comment. <laughs> That's what I'm making fun of. I'm sorry. I'm not taking it's away okay. your alcoholism. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, oh, there's LSU in a in a in a bubble. I'm not taking away your alcoholism. Um, <laughs> That's pretty with the shirts. Speaking of that, uh, are you going to stop by my tailgate on Saturday? I'm going to be st- stopping by the Branch family tailgate, which Can't I, I'm not going to invite our listeners, but it's one of the better tailgates. I'm, I'm pro Branch family tailgate. A lot of people know where to find me, so uh, if anybody mentions this episode and that you've listened this far in. I will give you as much free beer as you want. So, Ooh. Um, all right. If if you make it this far, <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Well, um, yeah. The most important McNeese game that's ever happened. I'm pumped. <laughs> all right, good episode, buddy. Let's talk soon.